Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. My guest this week is Danielle Clay, an oncology nurse. How's it going, Danielle? I'm good. How are you doing, Brett? I'm good. I'm I'm really excited to have this conversation. Uh, you you were one of the people who didn't think they were interesting enough to be on Systematic. Did yeah. I interpret that correctly? <laughs> yeah, I didn't think that anybody would really find uh, nursing to be that interesting. People don't get how interesting they are, (laughs) especially to those of us who don't really have insight into various worlds. So welcome. I'm excited. Me too. All right. Um, So what's your, uh, an oncology nurse, what does that entail for you? Um, So for anybody who doesn't know, oncology is um, cancer. So I work at a cancer hospital and take care of patients. I've done both what we call medical oncology, and I'm currently doing surgical oncology. And just to make it like a little bit more complicated, I've spent some time doing um, hematology and bone marrow transplant. And all of those four things are different types of specialty within the field of oncology. Yeah. So, wow. Okay. Your, your day job then is, it, it's pretty technical? Um, yeah, so oncology is kind of interesting because it is really, really specialized. Um, and then within oncology, there's like oncology and then hematology. Hematology tends to deal with um, disorders of the blood like leukemias, lymphomas, um, certain types of anemia, stuff like that. Um, and they stem from having problems usually with your bone marrow. Um, and then there's just kind of general oncology, and that's all your other um, types of cancer, you know, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, prostate cancer, um, liver cancer, kidney, all of that kind of stuff. And then within that, uh, like kind of larger oncology, there's medical where you're getting like chemotherapy and stuff like that. And then there's surgical where you're having surgical interventions like tumor debulkings and removal of body parts and stuff. Wow. So I've done a little bit of all of it. Wow. Yeah. That, did you ever hear uh, The Systematic with Anthony Waller? No, I Do you know not. Anthony Waller? Um, I think we both follow each other on Twitter. Okay. Uh, it, he, he works in the industry, um, deals with a lot of the, if I recall correctly, bone marrow stuff. Awesome. But, yeah, uh, I think that episode has disappeared for now. Uh, all the 5 by 5 episodes disappeared. Oh, that's a bummer. Well, no, I still have them. They'll be back. Um, Just put them somewhere new. So as part of this this job in general, you probably see a lot of death. Yes. Um, Outside of like an ICU and other really kind of acute critical care floors, oncology floors tend to see the most uh, patient deaths. How mentally strenuous is that atmosphere for you? Um, it's It can be very strenuous. I find that working with patients who are actively dying or um, dealing with the fact that they will be dying in the not too distant future, I find that actually the most rewarding work that I do. So there is like a lot of emotional outpouring into them and taking on a lot of um, emotional work. But it's something that I really feel like I'm good at, and it 
those are the days that when I come home from work, I feel like I was a really good nurse for this person today. So I, I do actually really, as much as like that's like the saddest stuff that we deal with, I feel like it's my favorite stuff to do with because the work is so meaningful. That, wow, okay. So how has your view on mortality changed since you started this work? I um, am a little bit of like a planner and a really pretty, try to be pretty organized and this is where I want my life to go and this is where I see things going and here's like my, where I want to be in five years. And dealing with mortality on this level and you see people of all ages. I don't do kids, that's its own specialty. Um, but I've watched people die who are much younger than I am. And seeing that it really does make you, it sounds so cliche, but it really makes you realize like how short life is and how, you know, it's great to plan for things five years in advance um, because you chances are you will be here, but I really don't put things off um, forever and ever and ever anymore when there's something that like I really want to do or somebody I really want to see or something that's important to me I really try to make space for it in the here and now because I know that you know everybody is a diagnosis away from not being able to do any of that stuff anymore that is the kind of philosophy I often hear from people who have, have survived death you know at least once yeah and they kind of develop a new appreciation for the brevity of life but you get to have that uh maturity that outlook without having a terminal diagnosis that seems handy yeah it's a i guess it's a little bit of a shortcut of not having to go through the experience yourself you kind of live it secondhand um but and so you know like my experience with it is not going to be on the same level as somebody who's actually physically gone through it. But yeah, I feel like I really at a pretty young age got to really understand like how short life is. And I feel like a lot of people don't get that sense because, you know, your day to day life like is long and kind of boring and, you know, exciting things only happen every once in a while. And the rest is like just your day to day life kind of filling in. So I don't think everybody really thinks about, you know, this could be my last day or, you know, this might be the last chance I get to do this one thing. So I get I get a little bit of that without having to have gone through uh, the what I can only imagine is a traumatizing experience of coming very close to death. Do you it seems to me that once you've watched it enough times, you have to internalize it to some extent. And I, I feel like if it were me, I would feel some of that, um, the progression of emotions as someone prepares to die. And that would definitely affect me. And hopefully I would come out with the philosophy that you have, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I think everybody deals with it differently. You know, I've, I've, been in this field for about six years now and so I've seen quite a few like new nurses come into it um, and everybody who decides to go into oncology they're all like very caring people like you don't decide to make this your specialty if you don't 
really care about doing a lot of emotional work with people because that's the vast majority of what you're going to be doing is less emotional work. Um, but I've seen, you know, a lot of them decide that, you know, watching people die or watching people go through a disease process where you know in the end they're going to die is really taxing and really takes a toll on people. And a lot of nurses just don't end up staying in the field for more than a couple of years. And there's like nothing wrong with that. I super understand that it really takes, I think, a special person to persevere in this field because you just you do see a lot of terrible things that you really wish that you can change that, you know, you can't. Yeah, I have a, a limited window into this. My wife works with uh, the ASPCA and they routinely when there's, you know, 700 dogs and animals rescued. Uh, there will be a determination that a certain percentage of that population is not adoptable and decisions have to be made about longevity versus uh, resources versus quality of life. And she ends up doing the comfort holds, which is basically a very short-term hospice for animals that have been essentially sentenced to death. And that, like, I... I couldn't do that or the work you do. The thought of it terrifies me. Um, but the uh, th- that balance between longevity and quality of life, has, has your opinion on where that line is changed? For me personally, yes. Um, I really value quality of life over longevity, But one thing as a nurse that you have to be able to do is put aside your values and really take on the values of your patient. Um, So a lot of the conversations that we have to have towards end of life are like, which, which are you, which are you going for? Like, what is your goal? Is your goal going to be longevity so you can be here as long as possible um, and maybe be more alert for as long as possible? Or is it quality of life and you would rather be more comfortable? Because when you start giving pain medications um, and like anti-nausea medications and stuff like that, a lot of them have very sedating effects. So while you might be very comfortable, you're probably not going to be very um, with it. Like you might, you're not going to be awake very often. Um, and when you are, you might be a little bit hazy or delirious. Um, so there's everybody has to kind of make that decision when they get towards the end of life of what's, where do you prefer? Like, what is your goal? And that's, you know, it's a hard thing to be a part of when somebody's making a decision that maybe you wouldn't make. Like you watch people sit in a lot of pain and like as a nurse, all I want to do is take their pain away. Sure. Um, um, but you know, that's, that is their decision. And as long as they're making um, an informed decision and it's something that they want for themselves, then you have to support that and you have to advocate for that. Um, and sometimes that can be challenging with, with family dynamics. There's a lot of family dynamics at play when you're uh, dealing with patients who are terminally ill or at end of life or even patients who aren't going to be dying anytime soon, like they're going to get better. There's always a, not always, but there's often a point where they are very, very sick um, and it's a lot of interesting family dynamics that come out in those times because that is a lot to cope with. And, you know, we don't all have amazing coping skills. Does it go, does it go both ways? Uh, if a patient chooses to 
die uh, rather than have their life prolonged on drugs and be less than um, available to family. And then the family disagrees with that. Does that happen as often as patients who want to live and their family hits like they have difficulty with that situation? Um, I would say the one that happens more often, I think, is when patients want to be comfortable and the family wants the patient to be more emotionally present with them. But I will say that the that conflict is usually not for very long and it's it's not in as many patients as you would think. Most people, when their family member is with it enough to say, this is what I want, are willing to go move towards that goal um, in at least some capacity. And it gets, it gets difficult for family members to watch. I think that it's harder on family members to watch, uh, to watch somebody um, suffer longer. Like the family members of patients who want to try everything are like some of the strongest people you will ever meet because they are with these patients going through hell and back over and over again. Um, and it's, it takes a, it takes a big emotional toll on them, but you know, like those people are amazing. They are almost always like incredibly supportive of what their family wants to do. But you know, a lot of times they'll have to like leave the room for a while and have like a little bit of an emotional breakdown because it's really, I think one of the hardest things that we can do as human beings is watch the people we love suffer and be in pain. It's a really hard thing to do. I, so those, <laughs> those people are incredibly, incredibly strong. So I feel, okay. So you're not generally directly related to these patients, but you're watching this that you're describing regularly, repeatedly. I feel like, that makes you by proxy just as strong. Do you feel, do you separate yourself from the situations? Do you, are you able to kind of stand back and not make it your own? Yeah, I feel like one of my strengths as an oncology nurse is that I'm really good at finding that balance of being emotionally available for my patients and caring about them a lot. Like, I love my patients, like dying, not dying, like you're going to be here for two days, you're going to be here for six months, like I really care about the people that I take care of. Um, but I'm good at not taking on um, all of that emotionalness, like all of that, everything that they're going through, I'm good at not taking that on for myself. So I feel like I'm pretty good at finding a balance of like, I really care about you, I want to be here for you, and I'm going to give you like really excellent care tailored for you and emotionally be available while not taking that home with me, so to, so to speak. Every once in a while, you get a patient that that's hard with and those patients stick with you kind of forever. Um, I mean, I can't for HIPAA reasons, but like I could even just like tell you their names even though it's been years since I've taken care of them. Sure. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I, I think I'm pretty good at watching this happen, working with these families, working with these patients, um, and not letting it destroy me. I and find I that amazing, just so you know, Thanks. to be able to walk that line. <laughs> Thanks. I think those nurses who I mentioned before, who come into oncology for all the right reasons and have to leave, they're the ones that take on more than they, 
than they can really deal with. And like I said, like, that's not a personal fault. Like these people just care so much. Um, but yeah, it's, it will, it will just eat you up if you let it. And in fact, I had to take a year and a half off from working in oncology. I just did some like general med surge nursing for a while. Um, when I actually, I went through a divorce like three years ago and having that much emotional stress in my own life made it very hard for me to keep that balance in my work life. And so I found that I was either not giving as much of myself as I would like to and spending a lot of time feeling like I wasn't a very good nurse. That was most of the time. And then sometimes feeling like I just took on way too much of um, everyone else's emotional pain and I couldn't, and that's also like crippling as a nurse. So like neither way is really going to work in an mm. oncology setting. So I had to take time off. So, so I it, just that the, the ability to be emotionally available without being within the situation, is that something you, you learn then? Um, I think it's something that I just kind of innately have as a person is like this kind of empathy. I don't know. I mean, I don't recall ever like learning empathy. I think that I did have to, kind of quickly learn where to put up a little bit of like an emotional wall for myself just so that I could come back to this every day and not feel like I was wearing myself out. Um, but it didn't take too long. Um, I, I was able to get that pretty quickly. And I think most, most nurses who stick with oncology for a long time, I think it would probably, they probably say the same thing that this is something that they kind of just know how to do. And there's some fine tuning you have to do because it's not anything you experienced before. Um, but our, I think most nurses who I've talked to who are in oncology um, did not have to go through this terrible period where they're trying to figure out how to be emotionally available or trying to figure out how to um, keep out enough to like be able to keep to keep going. I think if you can't do one or the other, you end up just moving on. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, last question on this topic. Um, are you a religious person? I am not a religious person. I grew up in a Catholic family. Um, I um, do not practice any religion. I would consider myself maybe kind of a spiritual person in that I feel like, I guess I just don't necessarily feel like, like the universe is like this cold like thing, but I don't feel like there is like um, an all-knowing God or anything like that. So a lot of times when you hear about someone finding Jesus, it's during their, um, uh, after they realize they're going to die. Mm -hmm. And it, that like last minute bargaining kind of thing. Is this something that you said it's at one point in this conversation that you, you take on their beliefs mm -hmm. and, and that's part of the way that you provide for them is is that are you able to accept these like last minute religious decisions oh yeah and like i've i've sat and prayed with patients and patients family members um i don't have a lot of spiritual guidance to offer them because that's not really something that i you know live in um but i feel like Whatever's going to help you get through this time in your life, whatever is going to give you the solace that you're seeking and like the meaning that you're looking for, um, 
you have to support that. You know, like you have to help these people emotionally get through uh, this thing that we all hope we never have to deal with because it's so much. It's so heavy. Um, like I sometimes like sit and think about like how I might feel in this if I, if it was me dealing with this and I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would need or want um, if I would feel like there needed to be meaning. So whatever is going to help these people get through this process and whatever their belief system is, whatever their truth is, you have to honor that. Uh, yeah. And I, I agree with that. And I also like that you, you're not trying to offer guidance. I can't imagine a nurse preaching to me. Yeah. That was um, like not my space. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. I, yeah. Um, and it's not that I don't see that either. Like I've worked with people cause you know, there's lots of different types of staff that are going to come and walk into your room when you're in the hospital. There's nurses, there's aides, there's physical therapy, occupational therapy, your doctors, um, all sorts of people. And, you know, I've, I've seen people try to offer, um, like solace through God, like, you know, this is where God wants you to be, or this is your path or whatever. And I really try not to do that. Um, not just for my patients, but just like in life in general, because I don't feel like being told that like, this is your lot in life and this is your fate. And this is what you deserve right now is really very helpful. <laughs> I totally agree. I feel like my approach would be less than helpful. Um, being an atheist, and trying to tell people, perhaps maybe it just ends here. You don't yeah. have to worry about heaven and hell. I feel like that might be less than comforting as well. <laughs> yeah, I suppose if it's like somebody didn't like believe that, because like that's kind of where I am. I don't think there's a heaven or hell, and you know, I can't tell you what the universe is, but like that's just not what I think it it is. Um, so for me, like when you when you die, I think you probably just die, and and there you go. Um, I think that's harder for families to accept than patients sometimes. Yeah, a lot of patients when they get to the very end, they're just ready to go. You see, you'll see people fight it. Some people really do fight it, and it's interesting. Like you'll see people fight it until a certain person gets there, or until they've like wrestled with something for themselves and then just let go. But most people, when they're really at the end, there. Um, I don't think that they care that much <laughs> what's on the other side. I think that they know it's their time and that they just need to let it go, like, like just let go. Um, but for family members, you know, this is the last time you're going to see this person. This is yeah. the last time you're going to smell this person. It's the last time you're going to hear them breathe. Um, I think that's a really hard thing to wrap your mind around and it's, very comforting to have the idea that eventually you're going to be reunited with this person. Yeah. Um, who doesn't want to believe that, right? Like, I don't. there are reasons. There's a re <laughs> I find a lot of comfort in the idea of it just going away. Yeah, I don't find that scary. Personally, I don't find that scary at all. Um, but, you know, like if I were the type of person to believe that there was like a, a heaven and like an all-knowing God and stuff like that, like to like live in a forever young, like beautiful body with all of my favorite people, like eating pizza and going swimming all the time. Sure. That sounds awesome. I, which, I mean, the whole idea of immortality is actually back on the radar now with Peter Thiel's yeah. investments and whatnot. I, I read a story when I was a kid, the, 
I don't remember. It was uh, like some backwoods family that had discovered the Fountain of Youth forever, ever, Tuck Everlasting. And Oh, I think I saw that movie in the 90s. I don't was remember it a movie? Much. It was. It did come out as a movie and it had, you know, some really adorable like Devin Sawa or <laughs> Taylor Thomas or somebody in it. By the end of that book, I decided I don't want eternity in any form. Yeah. But that's also so when you talk about the situation being really heavy uh, with with terminal patients, are you talking about the fact that they have a deadline like they have a, a set life expectancy or is it that most people never think about the fact that they're going to die? I think probably both. Like, I mean, I do think about it because I live around it. Um, so I think about that kind of a lot actually but I don't think most people do it's not a very fun thing for most people to think about and like most people have never experienced another person's death you know like even if you have a family member that died chances are you weren't there for it um so I don't think people like to think about mortality I don't think people like to think about death and dying so now you're like faced with it and it's you it's that's hard that's just a lot and then to know that you have like a number of days left like you're just like a little ticking clock I think both of those things together is just like maybe the most like emotionally and like psychologically like bananas thing you can like be dealing with and thinking about yeah I could see that (laughs) I mean both of my grandfathers died on the exact same day one of them in the basement uh, where I was living with, this was high school or middle school, I guess. Um, he, they had, we had a walkout basement and they had an apartment down there and I lived down the hall. So I was a big part of that. I've watched a couple of friends in my lifetime die in front of me. I feel like maybe that contributes a lot to my general philosophy. Uh, everything is temporary. Yeah. And that's yeah. just the tip of the iceberg of what you deal with. So, yeah, no, I, I am, I'm in awe of the whole thing. Special people. So, uh, let's talk more about you. We'll move away from mortality. There... Onto, onto lighter subjects. <laughs> <laughs> Such as sex. Yes. You, you, had a, uh, you had a blog, uh, I think 2015, you stopped posting on it. Is that about right? Yeah, um, the blog that you're going to talk about was like a pretty rad project of mine for a while. And it's kind of fallen by the wayside because my life has kind of taken a different direction. Um, but it's it's something that I think may may crop up again in maybe some slightly different forms. But yeah, it, it was. OK, it, so I, we're talking about a blog called sexwithswoozy.com. <laughs> and it is. Uh, you function as both uh, like information source and like the dear Abby of kind of sex and relationship questions. Um, I found it a fascinating read. Uh, I hope it comes back. Uh, the, uh, the things that you cover are of vital importance to so many people. I know I especially enjoyed the, uh, Let's see. I'm mixing multiple ones up. There was one. Re- oh, embarrassing sex. That oh, was yeah. such a good article. You talk about 
<laughs> the, the variety of sounds. I believe the the focus was menstruation. Is that am I mixing things up? Yeah, so that um, that piece I actually wrote for, I don't know if you've ever heard of femsplain.com. Um, it's basically, it's women writing for other women. Um, so it's it's definitely more female body oriented. And I really do try to be inclusive of, you know, assigned female at birth and, you know, trans and non-binary. So I do try to be, um, speak to a little bit of everybody. But the vast majority of women do menstruate, so a lot of it there's yeah definitely some some bloody times in there. Yeah, and then I there was a part of the article where you said it, that there is a lot of embarrassing things that happen during sex, and talked about being able to laugh and it not ruining the mood, and that is so. <sighs> people get so self conscious about. Mm-hmm. I won't go into detail about all the potential sources of sound, but I like I like the way that you wrote this blog because it is not it doesn't hold back while maintaining a kind of scientific approach also is very personal. Yeah, and that's kind of been my goal with all of that writing is that I want it to be like informational. And like, you know, this is coming from, you know, a trustworthy source, like I'm a nurse, I'm not just coming out of nowhere, um, but also really accessible. I don't, it's not a textbook, you know, this is coming from like a person who's like lived through some of these experiences herself. Um, and I'd rather be like that when you're like a kid, you have like a friend who's got a rad big, big sister who you can like ask all sorts of questions to. I want to be like that. I feel the fact that you covered pegging in relative detail means that you are like the perfect version of that <laughs> without yes. without uh limits really yeah i i just want to recommend i i found this while researching you it wasn't what you sent me as a topic but yeah i i want everyone to go read this if yeah, you've it's, ever it's had one, sex it's my one buzzfeed article i got to write a buzzfeed article and that was pretty rad this is the one nice all right. Um, let's see. Next up, I want to talk about costume making. Tell me about your current love of costumes. Yeah. So I was always like that kid that played dress up my whole life. It's like it, that has never left me. And as an, as an adult, I think I really tried to like put that away because adults don't play dress up. Um, but I love it. So Halloween, of course, is like the perfect excuse as an adult to play dress up. So I've used Halloween as um, a way to continue with my dress up fascination. And I make my costume every year. And over the last maybe six or seven years, the costumes have started to be a little bit more legit. There's been lots of makeup stuff added, some prosthetics, um, a lot more sewing and a lot of like just a lot of effort to make these costumes look really good. Um, so basically like cosplay. Yeah. I never really considered myself like a cosplay person until recently. So um, I'm dating this wonderful man named John. He's amazing and fantastic. And actually like my rad costumes are part of how we met. Um, but we both really love Star Wars and have, like when you put two nerds together, like the nerdery just ex- exponentiates, right? So we like are super into Star Wars. He like has a 
lightsaber that he got custom built and all that stuff. So now I'm trying to make these costumes based on Star Wars characters as well as like just general like John kind of wants to have his own version of like a Jedi that's not necessarily like a canon character but a Jedi that he can kind of like embody himself. So now my my costuming is getting my my costume level abilities like they're just really gone far and above. Um, Ahsoka Tano is my favorite character, and she's kind of who I would like to dress up for, dress up as for Halloween. Um, so I'm now using foam, which I've never used before. Foam and like liquid latex and all this stuff, to, and you know, model clay to make her, to make a headdress that mimics her uh, lacuna, her little tendrils from her head. Um, <laughs> so. So it's it's getting to be really interesting. Like these are some pretty rad skills that I'm learning that you know that I am actually like learning from reading blogs of cosplayers and stuff like that. These people make the most amazing things and I'm trying to slowly get to that level. I'm not like a con person. Like I don't like being around large number, numbers of people. Um so I don't know that I'd ever do that. But I would love to have costumes that I can just, you know, play dress up with our kids. So what do you think the psychological uh where where what where does that love of the costume stem from because it does sound different than cosplay it doesn't sound like you were so much trying to become a character is really enjoying the process of creating the costume i i do really enjoy the process of it in fact i often only wear these costumes once after i've made them even though they take me you know dozens of hours to make um and there's just a lot of like craftsmanship that goes into it you're learning new techniques and new abilities which i find really interesting um and like the whole time i'm making it i kind of get to try on who this person is um and like what is special about what the way they look because I'm not good enough to get every nitty gritty detail correct. So I need to get what like the essence of this person's costume is. And so like I get to kind of sit and, and be like in their brain a little bit and look at them and like what makes this person them and like or recognizably them. It's just, it's a fun process for me. That's yeah. I, the last time I dressed up was maybe 15 years ago. And it was uh, the girl I was dating at the time wanted to go as a couple who had died in a car crash on their way to senior prom. That's a very specific. I know, costume. right? <laughs> and, oh, and there was a year. It was 1978 or nine, and so our our suit and her dress were like very specifically dated and we had figured out the story of how each of us sustained our mortal wounds. Mine was a steering wheel. And I think hers was through the windshield and, and designed all of our injuries around like what we determined would be the actual points of impact and everything. That's I did have a awesome. steering wheel sticking out of my head, which made that more obvious, but yeah, um, I haven't since then at all, and I, I kind of, I appreciate your fascination with it. It sounds very creative. Yeah, I feel like when I talk about it to most people, they're just like, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thanks for being interested in it. <laughs> I like nerdery in almost any form. 
people who pay attention. Yeah, I'm fascinated by anybody who loves something enough to know so much about it. Right. Yeah. I realized talking to someone the other day that I know way too much about dress clothes in general. Like, I know where the best Armenian tailors are on 4th Avenue in New York that you can get a suit, like an off-the-rack suit, deconstructed and put back together as a tailored suit in under, like, three hours. And the fact that I knew these things freaked me out a little bit. But (laughs) I would also date me because of those things. Yeah. That's that's something I've, I've been wrestling with lately, the fact that, I would date a 22-year-old me that feels really narcissistic, but I'll admit oh, it's true. I feel like that's really nice. I feel <laughs> like that's like a real like healthy sense of like seeing your own value as a person. That makes me happy that you do that. Ah. Yeah, I think that if, I wish everybody, and this is like actually like a big part of what started me off doing this like sex with Susie thing is that I really wish that everybody honestly and truly loved themselves. And I'm not talking in like a narcissistic Donald Trump way. Like I think that that mostly comes out of like a severe sense of insecurity. Um, like I want people to like love who they are and not be ashamed of who they are. So the fact that like you would date a 22 year old version of yourself makes me really happy for you. I, I appreciate it. that's very reaffirming. I've been a little bit disturbed by it. So <laughs> that's cool. You also mentioned in your email, uh, last topic before our top three picks is uh, your, a love of rock climbing, which I also, I share, although I have fallen out of, I haven't gone climbing in years, but it's something, it's one of those things that I said, when I lose weight, we're going back to the rock wall and then heading out and do some bouldering. And I'm finally losing the weight. I'm three pounds away from my goal. And I'm looking forward to getting back to the climbing wall. So what is your experience with it? So I've only been climbing for a couple of years. And then, you know, most of that time had been really intermittent. I would say maybe the last six months, it's gotten a little bit more consistent and serious. But I really enjoy it. So I went to Mexico not oh I guess I've only been rock climbing for a year and a half not this last May that just passed the year before that I went to Mexico and we went on some zip lining trip and on this zip lining trip they put you in like a little um rock climbing harness which side note I went zip lining in America recently I was in Colorado and I went zip lining and the fact that they just put me in a rock climbing harness in Mexico is just like insane <laughs> that is so crazy because the harness that they put you in here um is like a thousand times like larger and more secure (laughs) (laughs) one of those like seven point flight harness things yeah basically basically and like you're clipped into something at any given moment like you're never just standing there not clipped into something it's it's awesome it was an it was an enlightening experience um but anyway I just remember being in that harness and thinking to myself damn I feel real cool right now like I feel like a badass (laughs) And so when I went home after that trip, I was like, I should try rock climbing. I can be in that harness all the time. Um, So I actually took a class through REI um, to learn how to do top roping and like fell in love with rock climbing in a way I did not expect. It just was like so meditative for me to be on that wall. Um, And there's 
like I like I told you, I'm like very much kind of like a forward thinker. Like, what am I going to be doing tomorrow? What am I going to be doing in three weeks? Like, I just am not a very good at being present in the moment and just like happy with what's going on right now. Um, I'm like an emotional shark. You can't stop planning or you're going to die. Um, <laughs> but being up on that wall, it's literally all you can focus on. Because if you're not, then you are, you, you're going to fall, right? And like, as a brand new rock climber, even though I had the harness and the rope on, falling was still like the scariest thing I could possibly think of. Uh, but being on that wall is just like, it's you and the rock. You have to trust your body. You have to trust your feet. You have to trust your hands. You have to get past a lot of like psychological hurdles for yourself, especially in the beginning when you're not used to trusting the rope. Um, and it was just like, I was like high on life when I was done with that. So I've been kind of in love with rock climbing ever since. I didn't really have like a buddy I could partner with for like top roping because you need someone to belay you. So I started focusing more on bouldering and I do like bouldering a lot. I like it because like, A, you don't need anybody else. You can do it on your own. Um, Although I have since learned it's much more fun when you have a friend. Um, And everything is like pretty conquerable if you put enough time in like as long as you're within like your skill range. Um, so bouldering is pretty fun. I like bouldering quite a bit. I love top roping. It just, every time I conquer, like I get to the top of a top rope, I'm so happy. If I can't get to the top, I'm just like, I'm coming back here in two days and I'm going to try this again until I get it. It's just, I really love it. It's just the sense of self-satisfaction I get out of it. The relationship that I have with my body now is different. If that makes sense, like... Sure. It like, really it just the, is you and your body. Once it's, you start getting into dynamic moves or dinos, um, it, when you're on uh, larger faces, it yeah, you, you develop a whole new appreciation for the way your body moves and the way that uh, inertia affects things. Like, it changes the way you walk down the street. Mm-hmm. You start, you start um, things like gravity and motion become far more relevant in everyday movement. I like uh, bouldering because, A, I have a mild fear of heights that once I get high enough on a rock face, I tend to freeze or at least lose concentration. And mm-hmm. especially in those situations, you really need to plan your next move. When you're not in a climbing gym, you know, when you're you're in a little more of a free climb, you have to plan your next hold so I think that might be part of your like Zen moment is the planning muscles are taken up by the next, the very next thing you need to do. Yeah. Cause I don't get as much of like that, that kind of mental rush when I'm in the gym. Oh yeah. No, yeah, it's only, it's only when you're outside. I've actually tried, like my boyfriend has taken up rock climbing with me, which I'm so thankful for. Cause now I can top rope at my leisure Um, but he is not really like ready to go out onto a wall outside yet. I don't think I try to tell him like, it's not, it's not safety wise different enough to like be afraid of it, but he, it's a, it's a mental block for him that we got to, we're going to work through. Take him bouldering. Yeah. That's actually our plan for next weekend as we live right near this giant rock park. Like it's called, it's called Stony Point and there's like rock climbing and bouldering galore. So we're going to go next weekend. And kind of get him on the outdoor thing. I really, uh, there was this one rock in Wisconsin that you would start on an underhang, like horizontal to the ground, and then mm-hmm. have to, it's about a maybe 12 foot 
vertical rock, but the route you had to take because of the crags was probably more like 30 feet. Mm -hmm. And I spent an entire day on it and finally at the end conquered it. Could not repeat it. I tried to do it again. Couldn't. And that was the last time I've been climbing, not because of that rock, but it it renewed or or uh, heavily reinforced my love of the technical aspects of bouldering. Mm-hmm. I would do that. I want to get back out there. You should do it. Yeah. Make it happen. Even if you don't lose those three pounds, you should still go I'm going to lose those three pounds. <laughs> I, I've lost 37 pounds in the last six months. That's fantastic. And I have never in that time gone back up. It's been a constant descent. That's great. So I will within the next uh, month, I would say, based on trajectory projections. But um, anyway, that brings us to our top three picks. Okay. So I'm sorry. Do you go first or do I go first? You go first with uh, one pick at a time. Okay, so my first of the top three pick is the Paprika app. Um, It's amazing. If you do any kind of, like, meal planning, it's phenomenal. Um, I recently moved in with with John, my boyfriend, and he's got two kids that we have, like, half the time. Um, And we've been wanting to be better about what we're eating and meals and making dinners at home and lunches at home and all that kind of stuff forever and ever and ever. And like every time we try and like get on this plan after like a week or two, we just keep falling off. Um, so finally I was like, you know what? We're both pretty, pretty tech savvy. Let's see if there's like an app that makes this feel like it's going to be easier. And Paprika really has done that for me. My favorite thing about Paprika, um, so it's, you can have it on your phone, your iPad or your MacBook. And then they have, you know, other non-Apple product versions too. Um, is that when I'm on my laptop, I can have it open and then you know, you're know you searching the web for whatever recipes you want. And then you just plug in the URL and it just pulls out the recipe. Yeah. So you know you have like a you know, 8,000 word story on like why this person loves this meal that you, know, you don't really necessarily wanna read through <laughs> <laughs> or parse through at all. You just put in the thing, you put in the URL into the app and it pulls out the recipe. It gives you like a window where you can like edit stuff if you want to. Um, and then it just saves it. And that to me is, is fantastic because previously I was just like trying to bookmark websites and stuff like that. And that is just annoying. And also even more annoying is trying to like by hand put all those recipes somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, and then, you know, once you have these recipes, that's fantastic. But then if you want to go shopping, you now have to like organize, you know, five, six, seven recipes worth of stuff. If you just hit a certain button in the app, it puts all of them into a grocery list. And then if there's like, say, you know, one recipe needs two eggs and another recipe needs three eggs in your grocery list, it says five eggs. So it like adds it all up for you. And now, unfortunately, if like, everything is like a ingredient is slightly differently worded it won't match them up you have to go in and add them up together um, minor price to pay it is a minor price to pay this i just really love this app and then you know it's got all sorts of like icloud sharing so i have the app on my phone john has the app on his phone just logged in on the same user and he can see all the recipes i put in he can see the entire grocery list that i've made um 
So it makes, you know, splitting up the work of going shopping and all that kind of stuff so much easier. I am a huge fan of paprika. I use it pretty much daily Mm -hmm. and we do all of those things. I also like there's a calendar. So when I build the big shopping list for a week's worth of meals, I can remember what ingredients go where. And you can tap a meal in the shopping or tap an item in the shopping list and it'll show you what recipe it came from. Oh, yeah. And if it's like added two or three together, it will show you all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's there have been a lot of recipe apps and, and a lot of good ones. But paprika is the most universal. And the fact that my wife and I can share a grocery list. So during the week, if something runs out, you can just uncheck it in your like things you have like that you've bought previously, uncheck it and it'll show up in the things to buy list. And so yes. we can both like run out of milk, tap and whoever goes to the grocery store next gets it. It's uh yeah. And the only thing that's really been frustrating is I just got some amazing new cookbooks and they're on paper. And if I really like a recipe and want it in paprika, I have to type it out. Yeah. And that is, um, now like before that seemed like not a big deal but now that everything is so easy if it's on the web i find it very frustrating yeah your your uh the amount of difficulty or time you're willing to put into something like dramatically increases once that thing has gotten a lot easier (laughs) yep yep all right oh i was also going to mention um as a sub note to that i've been using a site called or a service called plate joy Mm-hmm. And they create custom. You you plug in like your dietary requirements. Uh, if you know if you're on a weight loss plan, you tell it that and um, whatever your goals for eating are, and it generates custom weekly meal plans for you. Uh, oh, that's awesome. It doesn't. You know, it's not one of the services that like sends you the groceries and everything. It just offers simple recipes with easy to find ingredients, and there's a there's an actual person dedicated to you once you sign on, uh, once you start paying for it. Uh, mm-hmm. But you actually have a personal chef that you can send suggestions or questions to, and they'll modify menus. And it's been very cool. I can't remember what I'm paying for it, but whatever it was seemed worth it at the time and proved to be even more worthwhile than I thought. And they're all web-based recipes, so I can pop them right into Paprika. Oh, that's awesome. That sounds like a rad service. Yeah, I'll add a link to that. Okay, so my first pick I just found today. It's called Playlist Machinery, and it's for Spotify. And it combines all these different tools for making smart playlists. Uh, like, you can build, like, <laughs> with, like, building blocks. You can take, like, three of your playlists and then... Uh, tell it to alternate between them but don't play duplicates shuffle and then the first 40 like you can build very very intelligent playlists but then there's also features what's that i was gonna say it's like frankenstein's playlist (laughs) kind of it's like yahoo pipes for playlists um and then there's a tool that you can uh like type in a keyword like running and it'll find all the tracks that have appeared most frequently in playlists that people use for running, like from across Spotify's public playlist. That's awesome. You can sort all of your music. Um, let's see. Oh, you can. E- there's a road trip one, uh, a road trip mixtape feature where you can 
plot out your road trip and it will compile a mix of local artists from all along your trip. It's kind That's of crazy. really rad. I like that. That road trip playlist would make me real happy. There's one called Boil the Frog where you punch in two artists and it'll create a playlist that's that gradually moves from one style of music to another. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> this is fun. That's a great that's a great app. I like that. Yeah, so that's playlistmachinery.com and it's free. You just punch in your Spotify account credentials and yeah, I've I've had a lot of fun with it today already. All right, my second thing. Oh, my second thing is Mr. Robot. Tell me, pe- multiple people have suggested that I should be watching this, but I have not watched a single episode. Tell me why. Um, okay, so my caveat with Mr. Robot is that, you know, coming out of the golden age of television, if that is going to be your bar for watchable TV, I don't think this show quite hits that bar. Um, like, the storytelling is good, but it's, you know, there's like some loopholes you kind of have to forgive and <laughs> some things that are a little silly. Um, but if you, so if you can kind of pull yourself out of this kind of like, I'm only going to watch shows that are like as, you know, cinematically and plot wise, like as amazing as like Mad Men or The Sopranos or something. The you know, reasons like, you listed are why I stopped watching the 12 Monkeys series. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, see, I can I can deal with a little bit of silliness because I really like the characters in this, and it's suspenseful, um, and like, yeah, it's just definitely one of those shows where like the and the plot line moves pretty pretty fast, and it's one of those shows that when you're done with an episode, you really just want to watch the next episode and see where it's going. So it's a um, good binging show. It is. In fact, it's such a good binging show that John and I have decided that we are not going to start the second season yet so that we can let the first season marinate a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I do that. I get yeah. It. Yeah. Because otherwise you just go through the whole thing so quickly. So we're trying to let the first season marinate and I'm, I'm tiding myself over by playing the Mr. Robot game, All right. Uh, which is like a telltale game. I think think they also did the walking get the walking dead games on like i used the walking dead game to tide myself over between those seasons so i get that as well yeah so this this mr robot app is more fun than i would have thought because basically it's just a bunch of text messages like you pick up this phone and you don't know whose phone it is and you start getting random text messages from people and the person whose phone it is who is somebody in the show um starts texting you being like, you know, you stole my phone and all this stuff. Anyway, you get roped into, um, you don't know what is happening. If you've seen the first season, this takes place, like I would say maybe six or seven episodes into the first season is probably when this is happening. Um, you got to get roped into the hack that's going on throughout this season. And it's pretty fun. All right. Well, I do need a new show to binge watch. I'm pretty much like I've exhausted Netflix at this point, so I will go back and give that a chance. Yeah, you should try it. It also really like messes with your sense of reality because the main character of the show, you learn pretty quickly on, um, has some mental health issues. It's never named, but you know, I mean, if you know very much about mental health, he's obviously suffering from some form of schizophrenia. Um, so there's a, a lot of he doesn't always know what's reality and what's not. So you don't always know what's reality and what's not. 
Um, and that's just kind of like another layer of interest for me. Um, I think having your main character be somebody who is also, you know, struggling with dealing with mental illness and addiction problems and stuff like that. I enjoyed that you said that as if I had a sense of reality to distort to begin with. <laughs> thank you for I that credit. <laughs> Unwarranted, yeah. but thank you. Um, <laughs> Okay, so my second pick is an app called Time Glass for iOS, and they call it a workout slash kitchen timer, but it is, and there have been other apps that do this as well, um, but I'm really liking this one because you can have multiple timers running, and you can name them, so especially in the kitchen, yeah, I find that handy, uh, and to be fair, Paprika can do the same thing, um, not as... Um, easy to work with as time glass has been for me. Uh, it also lets you have sequential timers. So for like a workout, you know, like two minutes of this oh, and yeah. seven minutes of that. And so you can have it like progress through timers and then run multiple sequences uh, if you should ever need to. Uh, and that's basically all it does, which I also appreciate. It's a very well done single purpose app. That sounds, that sounds awesome. I feel like that would be really helpful in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, like I find it helpful for just about everything, even like for runs. If you want to do interval training on runs. Yes. Yes. I just, I'm learning how to run. I don't know how to run. So this is handy for me. Yeah. I'm about to try starting one of those like couch to 5k apps. Yeah. Um, because I feel like with rock climbing, I get a lot of strength stuff and I do some yoga, so I get some strength and some stretching and I don't have really any cardio in my, in my life. And now that I'm in my thirties, that's kind of an important thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been, it's made a big difference for me because I do yoga. I do jogging slash walking, hoping, hoping to amp that up, but rock climbing and strength training is the part that's missing for me. So our two powers combined. Right. <laughs> Makes one healthy individual. <laughs> I, I, I did want to mention RunKeeper. If you go, if you get the paid service, like the premium service from RunKeeper, mm -hmm. you, they have training programs built in for things like Couch to 5K. Oh, awesome. Yeah. They'll build you custom workouts and then give you audio cues while you're running. Oh, okay. that's great. So your last pick. All right, my last pick, I'm actually changing from what I emailed you. And my last pick is going to be my Cuisinart food processor that showed up in the mail yesterday. Nice. I ordered it from Amazon, um, and I kind of forgot how much I love food processors. I lost the food <laughs> processor in my divorce. Oh. <laughs> he got to keep uh, Of all the things. Custody. I know, I know. <laughs> he actually cooked a lot more than I did when we were together, so I felt like it was it was only fair. That's uh, fair. And now that I have one back in my life, I'm so happy. Like, I don't think I realized how much I missed it. So which it, model did you get? I got the Cuisinart 14-cup super fancy one. It was like $150. Oh, if you go to Sweet Home... Uh, yeah. .com. it's their it's their recommended um food processor which by the way the sweet home and wire cutter are always in my top three of everything yeah they, I'm they're with just you like that. the best they're just like the best websites um so you know if you're ever looking to buy something check there first um <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so i ordered it it came in the mail yesterday i made a smoothie with it today i'm gonna chop some vegetables with it later i am so excited for um my my life, my kitchen life, especially now that, that I have my food processor. John had never 
had one before in his whole life. I don't know how he existed so long <laughs> without one. Um, so he was very confused as to why I wanted one so badly. And then when it came and he saw all the rad things it could do, he was just like, oh, my God. Yeah. This is amazing. I want a better food processor. I still have the one that we got as a wedding present 11 years ago. Um, and it's it drives me nuts. But, I yeah, there are a lot of things that you just can't do without it. Yeah. Oh, soup soup season is going to be so much more exciting with right. this thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I have gotten our, our co-op in the winter is, as I'm sure most co-ops in the north are, primarily uh, root vegetables. So I've gotten really good at potato stews and root stews, slow cookers yeah. and blenders and food processors. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're must have for for any any soup aficionado. <laughs> All right. So my last pick is going to be a custom keyboard for iOS 8 that has the same issues as every custom keyboard, but I feel like it's a brilliant idea worth mentioning. It's called Nintype. Mm-hmm. I don't know where the name comes from, but it's basically 9-inch nails keyboard. Um, and it's a swipe keyboard that has really... You can do it with two fingers, so like you can combine multiple swipes to make a word, which makes it really fast for typing with two thumbs. Oh, that's awesome. That's right. You know what? I've always been a little bit jealous of my friends with uh, smartphones that are not iPhones and their ability to just move their finger around their screen like that to make words. Yeah. Well, and I Gboard is my favorite right now. And Gboard, you can swipe and it does an amazingly good job of uh, figuring out what words you just meant to swipe. Um, this this does more in that area. Also has very intriguing uh, navigation and shortcut tools, and you can create your own. Like instead of having a button for the pound sign, you can change that to you know a, a poop emoji if you want to, <laughs> um, if that's something you use more frequently. <laughs> so yeah, overall, I guess I really should have like figured out the list of features before I mentioned this, but in short, it's got so many good ideas in it that it's sad that keyboards suck in general on iOS. Yeah. Hopefully that is going to improve, but yeah. We'll All see. Right. I, I love Apple so much as a hardware company and like a lot less as a software company. Yeah, I've gotten there myself. Yeah, I kind of like wish... I I'm a big fan of like Google services, even though I know that Google is kind of like going to be like our overlord one day or something. Um, evil is the word you're looking for. Yeah, they are. They're evil, but they also, their services are like really well done. So I kind of wish that like Apple can just like jump in on that and be better at it, especially since <laughs> like you care about people's privacy. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, there, I think the reasons for Google having the uh, prowess they do in various industries has a lot to do with the money they can make off of all of the data they collect, which yeah. is a trade-off. Yeah. And at some point we'll look back and think that this era was the Garden of Eden and we all decided to eat the poison fruit Uh huh. from the tree of good in Google. Yeah, like Chrissy Teigen, who I love um, quite a bit, I had tweeted recently that, you know, there's a theory that Snapchat's um, filters, you know, that you can put over your face is actually like um, 
facial recognition software that they are <laughs> then sending that information to like, you know, intelligence agencies so that they can recognize people's faces. And she was just like, I kind of don't care because I look so amazing. <laughs> that's exactly. Yeah, that's the compromise. Yeah, and it's true. Like, you don't like, you know, there's no real you don't really think of those kinds of consequences to to this kind of technology and like where where it can lead down the line. Yep. But we so. will eventually. Yep. So, all right. You can be found on Twitter at Swoozy C. Yes. And your your former blog, we'll call it your your on hiatus blog, sexwithswoozy.com. And is there anywhere else you would like to point people to? No, that's kind of it. I mean, I'm on Facebook marginally, but nobody wants to follow me there. I don't post anything. <laughs> I think those two things might be correlated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, and I am Brett Terpstra. I'm uh, TT Scoff everywhere, Twitter, GitHub, etc., and uh, blog at brettterpstra.com. Thank you so much for being here. It's. Uh, I- I'm glad you overcame your your fear of not being interesting. Well, thank you. Thanks for for reaching out and having me. I'm going to try and internalize the fact that somebody thinks I'm interesting. I I found this entire conversation very, (laughs) like, fascinating. So awesome. That's fantastic. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, and I wish you the best of luck continuing your very difficult job. It seems to the rest of us a very difficult job that you seem to do very well. Thank you very much. And that was episode 171 with Danielle Clay. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back in a week.